Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you're with us as we are studying through God's Word. Glad to have you all. Uh, Ken says, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful day, and tomorrow someone will be at my door. Is that a song that I should know? <laughs> Not sure what that, uh, what that means. You have to enlighten me. Hey, Ron. Nathan says, good morning, Doug and all. I'm 17 and still doing grade 12 homeschool, but I have part-time job, so I won't be catching today's live stream, but have a blessed morning. Oh, well, that's great to know. Good to have you back with us uh, when you get a chance. Uh, Henny, good morning, afternoon, evening. <laughs> all right. Uh, as I mentioned, those of you who saw the YouTube uh, comment there, it is thunderstorming like crazy here all night long for hours. You know, we get uh, very little rain here in Colorado Springs. And so when it does rain, it's, uh, it's kind of a shock to our system, but these thunderstorms can be intense. We had thick hail, woke me up uh, multiple times through the night. So uh, I don't know, hopefully I'll be able to stay awake through this live stream. Pretty tired today. It's crazy, but it's all right. The SON sun is shining through it all. He's the one that decided it was time for a thunderstorm here in Colorado. We even had a tornado warning yesterday. In the 20, 23 and a half years I've been here, uh, in the spring, Colorado Springs, I think this might only be the second, possibly third time I can remember a tornado warning. So anyway, uh, it's good to know that I, we have a king who's in control of the weather and uh, he's blessed us with a nice place to be when it's raining. So anyway. We are in Hebrews, and today you might find some, uh, some conviction. The Holy Spirit might convict you a bit of how you interact with other believers, uh, especially when things get hard. I titled this, I don't know if I'll keep the title long term, but I titled it on the front end here. What did I say exactly? Uh, do you create peace or disunity with other believers. Just think about your interaction with uh, those in your church in particular, but other, don't, they don't have to be part of your local church. Are you a peacemaker? Do you strive for peace among others? Or do you create disunity? This could be aggressive or it could be passive. It could be aggressive in the sense that you really go after Pursuing peace with with others, being a you know blessed are the peacemakers, being like God, a son of God, or it can be aggressively dividing through lies, through um, just causing dissension, uh, questioning motives, and that kind of thing. Or you can be very passive, uh, especially on the disunity side, where you should insert yourself, you should speak up, you should move the conversation toward something of blessing and peace and unity, but instead you just sit there and stay quiet while factions rise up around you. Well, we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 12 that uh, when our brothers and sisters are struggling or when they are causing disruption, we have a, an obligation to address it. All of us do. The section is not written to elders and pastors. It's written to Christians. So with that, anybody who's still around who wants to hear this, 
let's uh, take a look at Hebrews 12. So at the end of verse 10, he says that God disciplines us for our good. Right? He is, he's bringing hard things, and in the original audience's case, persecution for their good. Why? So that we may share in his holiness. God wants us to be holy. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be set apart. Be different from the world. Be righteous. And so discipline from the Lord, hardships from the Lord is to move us toward holiness. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If we're going to learn anything from the hard things, we've got to be trained by it. We've got to go to school. Nathan said he's, he's in homeschool. <laughs> well, we've heard of the, the school of hard knocks, right? Life can be uh, a challenge. God can bring, he does bring. He disciplines all of his sons. So he brings hard things. But we have to learn. Plenty of people go to school and don't learn anything. You can go to the school of hard knocks and not learn anything. But we're to be trained by it. And if we are trained, then the result, the fruit of those hard things is righteousness. Notice he calls it the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then he concludes, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet. That's a plural your. So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So this is all plural. This is corporate. This is, this is the body of Christ, the community of Christ. Strengthen weak hands. Knees that knock together because they're afraid of the suffering that's coming, strengthen them. You have an obligation to strengthen those who are, who are weak, who are tempted because of fear. You know, in our day, uh, we think about the, uh, the assaults on righteousness with sexuality, for instance. And it's easy for Christians to pull back to not stand firm for fear of persecution, whether it's their own family members or losing a job or whatever. And it's easy to capitulate on the things that God has told us are offensive to him. Those are weak hands. Those are feeble knees. And you have an obligation to strengthen your brother or sister's hands and knees that are weak in terms of pursuing righteousness. Make straight paths for your feet. That is y'all, all y'all, for those of you in Texas, all y'all make straight paths for all y'all's feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. The limb that's lame there is an individual among you who isn't walking well, and it needs to be healed. 
he's, he's already said this stuff in chapter three. We have obligations to help our fellow believers get to the finish line. We need to, we need to own that obligation. And I'm not going to not going to lecture you again on the uh, the traditional model of church, but I'm just going to say this, it is very difficult to do this well in the traditional model of church where the church is all about meeting on Sunday morning and being a spectator for the pastor and music team whoever that uh, does the service because we we think we've done a Christian thing when we've gone to a service. And I'll remind you, the Bible doesn't say anything about gathering for a service. That's all man-made, and there's a, there's a cost to that. The church is the people of God, not a meeting or a meeting place. And we as the church have to be sufficiently aware of what's happening in each other's lives, what we're tempted to, where we are weak, where our knees knock together. We have to we have to be aware of that so we can call one another to righteousness and encourage. And the internet is not the best way to do this. Social media is not the best way to do this. <laughs> There's all kinds of division and unkindness thrown out from Christians to Christians online. It just It's not helpful. You're not going to save the world by pointing out someone's error online. No, we need to we need to be more local. We need to be more concerned with our brothers and sisters who are nearby and give them courage to move on in righteousness. Now he's quoting here from Isaiah 35. And those of you who've been with me for a while know exactly what I'm going to do now. I'm going to read Isaiah 34. <laughs> And catch the the whole um, context for this uh, this quotation, or at least it's an allusion to Isaiah. So here's what uh, God is saying uh, to the people in Isaiah: "Draw near, O nations." So this is to the Gentiles. Draw near to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. So God has an announcement to make to the whole world. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have uh, something in my throat, but I'm going to persevere. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations. So God is warning them. Judgment's coming. And his wrath against all the armies, he has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. And all the host of heaven, that's the armies of heaven, will wear away, and the sky be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will wither away, as a leaf withers from the vine, as one withers from the fig tree. Actually, this host may may be referring to the uh, the heavenly bodies more so than the angelic beings because that would fit better, wouldn't it, with the sky being rolled and so on. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat 
with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. See what he's doing here? He's using this imagery of sacrificing animals to describe the, uh, the, the, the killing, the, the death the Lord is going to bring about against the nations. Wild oxen will also fall with them, and young bulls will, with strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with blood, and their dust become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Remember, Zion is the word for God's people. It's Jerusalem, the city, but in uh, in the prophets, it it tends to have a little bit more of a, uh, a metaphorical meaning, not, not the physical city, but, but the, the concept of God's people. And God says there's a day of vengeance coming and a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Now, put yourself in the first century. These people are being persecuted by Jews because they have left Judaism and are now following Christ. The writer quotes from this context, this oracle, Isaiah 35, and we haven't gotten to 35 yet, but he's quoting this oracle. And they would have known the whole passage and would have remembered, oh yeah. These people who are oppressing us, they're not going to get away with it. There is a day coming, a day of vengeance. So that would give them courage to hang on, to press on. God is not blind to what's happening. He's not ignorant of their suffering. He knows, and he will punish those who are afflicting his people. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't have time to explore it now, but remember in chapter 10, when he said, encourage one another all the more, while you see the day appearing? Could it be this day of vengeance and not the second coming? Anyway, I'll let you chew on that on your own. Its streams will be turned into pitch and its loose loose earth into brimstone. Its land will become burning pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. That is God's vengeance, his wrath, his fire. Its smoke will go up forever. From generation to generation, it will be desolate. None will pass through it forever and ever. Ken says 70 AD, question mark. Possible. But pelican and hedgehog will possess it, and owl and raven will dwell on it. He will stretch over it the line of desolation and plumb line of emptiness. God's going to wipe out the oppressors. Its nobles, there's no one there whom they may proclaim king, and its princes will be nothing. Thorns will come up in its fortified towers, nestles, uh, nettles and thistles in its fortified cities. It will be a haunt of jackals and a boat of ostriches. The desert creatures will meet with the wolves, the hairy goat also with cry to its kind. Yes, the night monster will settle there and find her peace of a resting place. So all these, all these um, scary animals uh, are going to make their home there where the city used to be because God's going to wipe it out. The tree snake will make its nest and lay eggs there. It will hatch and gather them under its protection. Yes, the hawks will be gathered there, every one of its kind. Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. Not one will lack its mate, for his mouth has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. 
He cast the lot for them, and his hand has divided it to them by line. They shall possess it forever, for generation to generation they will dwell in it. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So you see the contrast. God's going to bring vengeance and desolation and destruction, but he's also going to bring life and joy and fruitfulness, prosperity for his people. And then he says, encourage the exhausted or the slack hands, the weak hands. This is what Isaiah 12 quotes. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Literally, it's tottering knees. So you see the uh, Hebrews is quoting more literally uh, than the English here. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. When you are afraid, when you're afraid that we're going to be destroyed, persecuted, lose our jobs, go to prison, lose our homes. Our kids are not going to like us. Our, our parents are going to reject us. Our, our siblings are going to reject us. Our in-laws are going to reject us because we hold fast to the truth of Christ and people are going to turn away from us. We need courage to stand firm. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you... And I have the responsibility to give courage to other brothers and sisters in the face of that kind of affliction. Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. But it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. Now, have you heard any of this uh, language before? The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like deer? This is messianic, isn't it? The New Testament quotes this in reference to Jesus. This time is here. This time has come, and so there is this highway of holiness. The unclean don't travel on it. No line will be there, nor any vicious beast will go upon it. These will not be found there. The redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with a shoutful joy to Zion, and everlasting joy upon their heads. They will feel gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. So that's the whole context that, I, that the writer of Hebrews quotes just a, a little piece here. Strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet the straight path, the highway of holiness, which is lame and may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. We need to heal each other, help each other stay on the path, the highway of holiness, of righteousness, staying true to our King, 
even in the midst of affliction. Ron says the kingdom of God is here and now. Absolutely. Absolutely. He goes on and says, pursue peace with all men. That's the heart of my question with which I opened. If the Lord came today to evaluate you, would he say you pursue peace with all men? Online? (laughs) In person? Are we peacemakers? Is this what we're after? Do we strive for peace? Peace here, again, it's a big word. It, It certainly means absence of conflict, but it includes blessing. It, it's the, the, this is Irenae, it's the, uh, the New Testament counterpart to Shalom, which is whole life prosperity and blessing. Do we seek to bless others? To bless and not curse? Look what the enemy does online. I know I keep bringing it up online, but it's where I see it so much. It's just, it's, there's so much warfare, so much conflict so much arrogance and fighting and backbiting online. It, it just, it's a cesspool for that kind of thing. And that spills over into the church when people interact with other Christians assuming motives, assuming bad motives. Uh, instead of giving the benefit of the doubt to fellow believers, we question everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, so to speak, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It means if you love somebody, you give them the benefit of the doubt. But the enemy loves to create tension and strife, and we are so easily tempted to that and give in to those temptations instead of pursuing peace. If you recall, um, in Proverbs, we are told that there are seven things God hates, and one of them is the man who stirs up strife among brothers. Anyone who's the cause of destroying a church, of causing a rift in factions in a church. God hates that. And he will bring consequences for that kind of action. I know churches that were thriving. And then some people through lies and deceit cause all kinds of strife and those, the church collapses. We are to pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification, which is the same word as holiness, the sanctification or holiness with which no one will see the Lord. I'm sorry, without which <laughs> no one will see the Lord. That's, that's a bad slip. Pursue peace with all men. So chase after it, run after peace, go after it. And pursue the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is not passive. He doesn't say, sit back and let holiness and peace come to you. No, you have an obligation. And again, this is plural. This is in the group. Pursue peace with all men. Pursue that holiness as a group. Now, groups are made up of individuals, so we need individuals pursuing peace and holiness, and we need the whole group together pursuing peace and holiness, and if we don't have that, no one will see the Lord. 
So the stakes are pretty high. This is a far cry from what uh, some teach that if you, you know, pray a prayer in some service, if you ask Jesus into your heart, if you receive the sacrament of baptism, something like that, that automatically you're, you're going to see the Lord someday. You know, we have this justification by death mentality. Uh, when you die, you go to heaven. This writer says, if you don't pursue this peace and sanctification, you're not going to see the Lord. God cares about our holiness. He cares about righteousness. No, we don't merit eternal life through our righteousness. But we are told again and again to pursue it. Well, I had intended to uh, get into this root of bitterness, but we'll have to save that now for Monday because our time is up. I would encourage you, reflect on these things. Check yourself and become a peacemaker and run hard after holiness. And look for those in your midst who are discouraged and give them strength and purpose and hope. Point them to Christ, his Holy Spirit, and come alongside as a brother or sister. We all need people to, to do that for us. All right, tomorrow is Friday. Gentlemen, come back. It's Fridays with the fellas. We will keep talking about manhood. And for the rest of you, we will see you on Monday, Lord willing, and continue with Hebrews. Have a great day. God bless.